You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 220, Leadership Lessons from the Gospel of John. If you've been with us, you know we've been digging through the Gospels, looking at some of the uh, different leadership principles from the life of Jesus. And, you know, we know that each Gospel writer had a particular uh, message that he was trying to convey to the church that he was writing to, and John was no different. And so before we delve into the the leadership lessons themselves that we pull from John, and we're going to look at three, Uh, I want to give you just a touch of background on the Gospel of John. Remember, when we look at a new book, we always start with three questions. Who was the audience? Who was the author? And what do we know about the text? All right, first of all, the the audience for the Gospel of John. Um, This is is an interesting uh, group of people because what we... What we know about John was in his later years, when he wrote the Gospel of John, uh, he was living in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was one of the great cities of the ancient world, probably only second uh, to Rome as far as uh, influence and size, uh, big city, uh, metropolis, and John was there. And if you remember from reading the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 19, Paul planted a church there, and we know from the New Testament that that church in Ephesus became an influential church, and that a number of other churches were planted, uh, maybe as many as ten or more, from uh, the church in Ephesus. So it was an apostolic center. And uh, we know Paul was martyred for his faith in the mid-60s, but then in the late 90s, when, when the, maybe even in the 80s, but still... 20 or 30 years later, um, when the Gospel of John was written, John was in the city of Ephesus, living, uh, ministering, still uh, planting churches, overseeing uh, church plants uh, well into his own uh, later years. So the audience was very likely this group of Christians in uh, in and around Ephesus, and this would have been a non-Jewish group. However, John, uh, most scholars acknowledge that John was written to a universal audience. And what they mean by that was that it has appeal to everyone. If you read John and you're not a Jewish Christian, you're going to be uh, ministered to. There's, it's going to speak to you. It's an easy book to understand. If you are a Jewish Christian, you're going to be ministered to. It's easy to understand. There's a lot of things in the book that both groups of Christians are going to be drawn to. And uh, John doesn't shy away from things that um, that Jewish Christians would be interested in, but he also deals with um, those things that anybody in the faith are going to be drawn to. The author, of course, was uh, traditionally thought to be John the Apostle, uh, one of Jesus' early 
disciples and probably uh, one of the younger of Jesus' disciples. And uh, we know this for, for a couple of reasons, but one of them is the fact that, the fa- that, that he was alive at the end of the century. Uh, tradition says that John was the only apostle not to die a martyr's death, um, that he died a, a natural death um, in his late 90s, maybe even living to be 100. But, but that's what the, the, the traditions tell us. So, so that was the author, a man who had known Jesus, um, not just according to the flesh, but even after Jesus' death and resurrection, he had known Jesus and lived a, a good long life, as we do, depending on the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us. So, um, very, very interesting man. Um, and, you know, he had a brother, James, who was the first apostle to be put to death, but uh, one of Jesus' early disciples. And then the text itself. Um, the text is fascinating. Uh, some people say that that John is is um, very very different from the synoptics synoptic gospels Matthew Mark and Luke and and there is truth to that but there are similarities as well but it's it's really like John said uh, it's almost like he said to himself before he wrote his gospel okay you know Matthew's talked about this Mark's talked about that Luke's covered these things now I'm going to talk about the things that they didn't and so he he deals with he addresses things that the other gospel writers don't there's overlap yes there's plenty of overlap but at the same time John is 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 going into territory and dealing with issues that um the other guys didn't uh it's a very carefully crafted novel uh instead of giving us a lot of miracles he gives us 7 Seven signs. And uh, he even uses the word sign instead of miracle. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke refer to the uh, incredible things Jesus does uh, as miracles. John refers to them as signs pointing to something else. John also builds his book around seven I am statements uh, that Jesus gave. So it's a a very interesting uh, gospel, very powerful gospel. But now... I want to delve into and look at some of the things that that John, uh, whether intentionally or not, shows us about the leadership style of Jesus. Well, don't go away. In just a minute, we're going to jump in and deal with those uh, those leadership lessons from the Gospel of John. But I want to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Reflections on the Resurrection. The resurrection is the single most important event in history. And, and that's bar none. It's the most important event in all of human history. Why is the resurrection so important? Um, well, very frankly... Without the resurrection, Christianity does not exist. There is no Christianity apart from the resurrection. If Jesus did not physically rise from the dead, we're believing a lie. Uh, The house of Christianity would crumble like a house of cards. Uh, So the resurrection is the most important event in history. But of course, it's also been the most attacked, uh, one of the most attacked events in history. um, Because... People don't want us to believe it. People don't want to accept that it's true. So we deal with a number of the issues surrounding the resurrection. We deal with the historical proof for it, the things that lead to it. We build a case for it. Um, Did you know that there's a witness list 
for the resurrection. Just as if you were going to court to testify for something, you would be placed on a witness list. Well, there's a witness list that's given in the Bible in the New Testament for the resurrection. And we look at that. We look at uh, reasons for the resurrection. We dispel um, some of the attacks. We actually deal with them. Is there a basis for them? Um, Or... You know, is there the evidence strong that Jesus did rise from the dead? So um, we also, there's a chapter on the Shroud of Turin, which is absolutely fascinating. I'd recommend the book just for that chapter alone. But we also deal with um, the question of what does the resurrection mean for me? So reflections on the resurrection. It's educational. It's apologetic in the sense that we, we deal with the arguments for the resurrection, and it's also devotional. What does the resurrection mean for my faith? Reflections on the resurrection, check it out. I know you will love it. Well, all right. Let's deal with three leadership principles from the Gospel of John. Number one, Jesus did not rush the process of selecting his disciples. When you read the first chapter of John, um, you see John, uh, Jesus picking a few of his disciples. And you see this in the other Gospels as well. And John, of course, gives us his, um, his view of it. But what we see when we put all the Gospels together is this wasn't just Jesus um, impulsively calling um, four fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot and, and, and other people to follow him. It wasn't impulsive. It wasn't compulsive. There was a very specific process that Jesus used. And in John 1, we see um, Andrew, Peter's brother, um, and and others who they actually came to Jesus. They, they saw him. They, they had been following John the Baptist and um, when John the Baptist pointed Jesus out, they, they came to Jesus and he said, what, what do you want? And they said, well, you know, where are you staying? And, and really when you read that in the Greek, the implications there are, can we spend some time with you? And Jesus says, well, come on and you'll see. And it says that they spent the day together. And so before Jesus called men to be his followers, before he called them to be those who were going to take his message into the world, he spent time with them making sure that they were the right people. Um, You know, this is important because so often as leaders, we need other people to help us. We need to make personnel decisions. We need people to fill positions. Um, We need people people to fill slots. And sometimes we're a little bit quick uh, to pull the trigger and hire somebody or to appoint somebody to a position. But Jesus didn't do that. Um, he was very, very uh, selective. He was took his time. Instead of rushing, he took time to build a relationship with the person to see if they were going to be a good fit. As we see here in John, they spent time together. Pastor Craig Groeschel, pastor of the largest, largest church in America, says um, we should be, be slow to hire, slow to hire, and quick to fire. What does that mean? It means we take our time on the front end doing due diligence, putting a process into place, a system into place that helps us hire or find the right person for a particular position. Um, What does it mean to fire quick? Well, when it's obvious that we've missed it and it's obvious that we're not going to be able to fix the person or fix the issue, 
Um, the worst thing in the world that we can do is just hold on, hoping they're going to get better. Um, slow to hire, quick to fire. And there's so much wisdom in this. And Jesus um, Jesus shows us, he gives us the example of the, the slow to hire. Don't be in a rush to just fill a position. And, and you say, well, look, I need them now. Well, it's, it's going to be much worse if you hire the wrong person to put the wrong person in the position. So on the front end, let's make sure that we've got a system in place. Let's make sure that we've got a process in place to find the right people. If we do it up front, it's going to be so much better. And, you know, getting other people involved in our, our system, getting other people involved in our process to help us getting their input is very, very important. So number two, um, and this also has to do with selecting disciples, selecting followers. Jesus understood what motivated people. Jesus understood what motivated people. In the same chapter, in John chapter 1, a man named Philip, who was already one of Jesus' followers, Jesus had selected him, he, he went to go get a man named Nathaniel and to bring him and let him meet Jesus and spend some time together as well. Obviously, he was hoping that his friend would be one of Jesus' followers as well. But when he went to Nathaniel... Um, he, he, he said, hey, you know, we've, we've met the Messiah, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel um, evidently was uh, <laughs> a little biased, and he didn't think very much of Jesus' hometown. And he said, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But he went to meet Jesus, and when he met Jesus, Jesus saw him and said, well, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And, you know, that sounds kind of like an innocuous statement, but really what Jesus is saying there is, here's a man who's concerned with the truth. Here's a man of integrity. Here's a man who, who, who's not going to lie to you. Um, when I see you, I see a man who's, who's full of credibility, a man who can be trusted. Well, now we say, well, of course, he's Jesus. He understood what was in people's hearts. But, you know... As leaders, we have this power as well. We may not know exactly what's going on in people's hearts. We may not know um, everything that motivates the people that, that are on our teams. But as leaders, we better have a pretty good idea of what's motivating people. And when it comes to the hiring process, when it comes to putting people in positions... We need to make sure we're putting the right people there. And one of the ways we can do this is by understanding what makes people tick. Um, and you say, well, now, how, how can I do this? Well, again, it goes back to the process, the system. It's asking the right questions. Uh, when I was with the police department, I was over um, several different units over the years. But one of the units that I was over, we were selecting people for the team. We needed people for the team. We, were, we, we actually had an interview process. These were people from within the police department, but um, this was a fairly prestigious unit at the time, and a lot of people wanted to get into it. And, you know, we would ask questions to see what was in people's hearts, to see what was in people's minds. We wanted to know why they wanted to be with us. And just asking the right questions and then shutting up and letting them talk. You'll find out so much about people. 
And we heard so many people come in and say, you know, when we asked them, why do you want to be a part of this unit? Oh, well, it's a good career move for me. Um, I've done other things in the police department. I've never done this. I think this would be good for me. Um, I think I would learn a lot here. I think this would be good for me. And obviously, you can kind of see where I'm going here. It's all about me. That told us so much about those particular people. But then we would have others come in and say, I feel like this is a place where I can make a difference. I feel like this is a place where I can serve and help the department. Um, I feel like this is a, a unit that, that's really um, got a lot of potential, and I'd like to be a part of it. I'd like to serve. I want to, to um, help this unit to grow and to continue to be successful. There's a total difference in those two types of, of, of answers. Somebody who's in it to, to, to um, just develop their own career or the person who says, this is a place where I can serve. So as a leader, we have to find out what motivates people. What are their reasons for wanting to be a part of your team? What are their reasons for wanting to come work for you? I mean, sometimes, you know, I just need a job. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But let's dig deeper. What are their motivations? And in the kingdom, when we're filling positions in the church, filling positions in our team, what is it that motivates people? Again, make it part of your process. Ask the right questions and you'll get the answers that you want to hear. All right. So we've talked about Jesus not rushing the process of selecting people. And then we talked about Jesus understanding what motivates people. And these are two things that we could learn so much from um, by understanding that, uh, that we need to do them. And then the last one we'll talk about is Jesus knew how to talk to different types of people. As a leader, you need to know how to talk to different types of people. I'm constantly amazed when I meet uh, leaders at high levels who absolutely have no ability to relate to different types of people. And Jesus was the master at this. John 3 and John 4 are great examples. In John 3, Jesus has an extensive conversation with one of the, the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders. And here was a man who was uh, trained theologically. His job was to, to teach the law, to interpret the law. And Jesus has an extensive conversation with Nicodemus talking about the law. Um, Jesus talks to him on a theological, on a philosophical level, um, asking questions, probing the answers, and, and, and really uh, having an amazing conversation. One chapter over, Jesus speaks to a woman in Samaria. Of course, Jews and Samaritans hated each other at the time, but Jesus was passing through there. He stops at a well with his disciples. Um, he's thirsty. He asks the woman for a drink of water, and it leads to an incredible conversation, completely different from the high-level theological conversation he's had with Nicodemus. This conversation with the woman at the well is uh, light. It's friendly. It's probing. It's uh, amusing in some ways, 
but it also gets to the heart of her issues. And it's the kind of conversation that um, a, a theological conversation would have not moved her, but a personal conversation about her life, about what she believed, about what was important to her, um, actually led to her coming to faith and then her being used as the instrument to turn her village to faith as well. So when we see this throughout Jesus' ministry, he was able to um, talk to the highly educated and then talk to those who were not so educated. What a great skill for every leader to have. Leader, you need to be able to talk to everybody. You need to be able to um, engage the business people in your church as well as the homeless person who wanders in off the street. Um, we need to be able to, to relate to people, to talk to people. Um, you know, if you're in a corporation or, or, or you know, a company, you need to be able to understand what makes different groups of people tick, um, and you need to be able to engage them and have conversations with them. We can't expect loyalty among our people if we can't even talk to them. So knowing how to talk to people, knowing how to have knowing how to have conversations being conversational um, knowing how to talk to people is absolutely one of the greatest skills that any leader can develop well we're going to stop there um, I'd love to hear from you we've talked about um, Jesus not rushing the process of selecting people for his team we've talked about Jesus understanding what motivates people why is that important and then knowing how to talk to different types of people. What do you think about these important things? And what did I miss? I'd love to hear from you. Go to davidspell.com, drop me a comment or a question in the comment section for today's post, and let me know what you think. While you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter so that we can stay in touch. Well, friends, thanks for being with me. And until next time, this is David Spell encouraging you to keep growing as a leader.